Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunkin'. Oh, you know, I totally forgot to tell you this before before we we started recording. I'm going to tell you now. Okay. Uh, One of my students messaged me. Oh. And uh, they live in Woodenville, I guess, because they saw some kind of of UFO in Woodenville and sent me a picture. And so I'm going to have to send it over. And I'll ask them if we have their permission to maybe post it on our Instagram, because I thought that was kind of cool. So yeah. uh, yeah, so if if you are a Pacific Northwesterner and you noticed something uh, flying through the sky the other day, let us know, because uh, I was a little inspired by, by our last episode. Now we've got some local UFO sightings. Also the, like, petrified aliens in Mexico. <laughs> the cake? The cake? Is the cake? it cake? Is it cake? Okay, but, like, real talk, I really yeah. want to try to bake that. <laughs> like, I mean, it's really cool. badly. Uh, for for those of you at home who may be like, oh uh, what? Uh, I'm sure you've probably seen the news story about the was it two? There were two um, mummified aliens. Mummified. Yeah. I keep saying petrified aliens. Tomato, in Mexico. tomato. And somebody did a video where uh, they did a, is it cake? And they cut into it and it was cake. <laughs> and it was cake. <laughs> and so hence us joking about cake. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so we, uh, I'm actually pretty excited. It's been a little since I've done a a straight on haunting. We are tackling what is considered to be one of America's greatest hauntings. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're going to kind of first look into the legend and lore of it. And then I'm going to start breaking down, uh, what may or may not be true or not true. Um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I need to give a warning, y'all. I'm gonna be aggressively scullying. <laughs> Woohoo! Like aggressively <laughs> scullying. You do you, boo. Can't wait. Today we're going to be talking about Franklin Castle. Ooh. Are you familiar with Franklin Castle? Very vaguely. It just sounds familiar. I just get excited when you scully castles. <laughs> uh, so construction for Franklin Castle began, according to, according to this story, <laughs> in 1864 in Cleveland, Ohio, on behalf of Hannes Tiedemann. What a name. A German immigrant who started out in the wholesale grocery and switched over to banking. He invested his money in the Savings and Trust Company, which made him quite rich. Uh, What do you do when you become quite rich, Gabby? You build a castle, man. You build a castle, man. And uh, Tiedemann wanted to make a statement with his house. I feel like calling it a house (laughs) is kind of a a disservice. (laughs) It's huge. He recruited the architect firm Cuddle and Richardson to construct a four-story home. There was turrets. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it would later be called Franklin Castle. It had almost 30 rooms and looked out over the downtown Cleveland River and Lake Erie. Cool. Tiedemann moved his family in, his wife, uh, Louise, uh, his children. He seemed to have had at least five. His mother, Vibeka, with a big house. You need staff. So you got lots of servants living there. In 1881, Emma, their daughter, who was 15, died unexpectedly. 
Now, it's said she died of diabetes, but neighbors thought something more sinister may have caused it. Some even said that Hannes was responsible. Dun, dun, dun! I like thinking that it could have been a ghost named Diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the true haunting. The uh, true haunting of sugar. Of sugar. Um, <laughs> yes. Two months after that, his mother, Vibeka, died supposedly of a broken heart. Aww. So now people are saying, they're cursed! The family is cursed! That sounds familiar. Yeah. Can we appreciate how quickly people go from zero to curse? I mean, the times, truly. It's, like, curses were, like, a big thing back then. Curses were a big thing back then. We didn't have the internet. We did not indeed <laughs> have the internet. So. <laughs> and people were very, very bored. Like, what do you do when you're not on TikTok all day? You invent a curse. You invent a curse. TikTok and then what do you curse. do when you're on TikTok all day? You invent a curse. You invent a curse. TikTok and curse, you know? TikTok and curse. Uh, so the tragedies would continue because by 1883, three more of his children would die within a week of each other. And again, people are convinced he must have something to do with this. Now, either Tiedemann or his wife, different stories say different things, to deal with their grief, started updating the home, adding a big ballroom, had gas lighting installed, which like, the lighting, sure. The ballroom, I suppose if I had... 30 rooms, why not make one of them a ballroom? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, why not? But according to the stories, he also had a number of secret rooms and passages built into the castle. Which, if I'm trying real hard to make people think I'm not shady and I'm not cursed, I don't know if that's the way to do it. Not the best move. Uh, his wife also had her children's faces carved into the stone near the front entrance. That is creepy as shit. <laughs> creepy as shit. So people are gossiping and talking and theorizing as to what he is up to. And of course, before long, people are saying, he's a witch. Okay, they weren't really <laughs> saying that, but they were like, some weird's going on and he might be killing people. This is also, you got to appreciate again, this is... Uh, Pre-H.H. Holmes. Okay. So people are just real happy to jump to Moida. <laughs> Moida. Hannes takes a mistress, a servant girl named Rachel. She would break things off, however, when she fell in love with another man. And the day they were to marry, Hannes made a pass at her. And she's like, mm, no, thank you. So what did he do? He killed her. He killed her. Strangled her, made it look like a suicide. Oh, wait, how does someone strangle themselves to death? Well, hanging. Oh, okay. I'm like, wait. All right, it took me a second to get there. <laughs> you, Thank you, you for You strangle them there. and then you, yeah. Got uh, it. Another story states that he murdered a girl who was either his niece or his illegitimate daughter Oy. in bed with his grandson. And oh, there was no. a lot to unpack in that oh, sentence. No, that's <laughs> terrible. Uh, but he shot her and again staged it to look like a suicide. At least he's consistent, you know? Yeah, but is this sounding a little fantastical to you, Gabby? Oh, 100%. Yes. Cool. Glad we're on the same page. Oh, yeah. In 1895, Louise Tiedemann, Hannah's wife, died at the age of 57, apparently drank herself to death. And of course, what are people saying? Moida. Moida. Uh, this was not helped by him heading to Germany not too long after and picking up a new wife named Henriette. Uh, and then heading back to Cleveland, selling his death house, moving to an almost identical house on the other side of town. 
but he's kind of a twat, so she divorces him within like a year. That's a great description. Thank you for that. <laughs> I am nothing if not a wordsmith. <laughs> he sells uh, Franklin Castle to a local brewer named Mulhauser, who rents it to his widowed sister to live with her children. Then again, more tragedy. In 1906, Hannes's last living child, August, died suddenly when he was only 42 years old. So Hannes is now alone, and he died in 1908 while walking in the park from a massive stroke. So I guess if nothing else, we can agree this dude had a lot of tragedy in his sure. life. Sure, sure. Uh, back at the castle, things have been chill for Mulhauser. But in 1921, he's ready to sell, which he does to the German Socialist Party. Oh, just in general? Just like the entire party bought it? Just the whole, the whole party. whole party was in on it. Party for a party. All right. Exactly. Initially, no one really thought much of this, but like, mm, here's all these Germans having meetings and uh, cue the 30s and 40s. What's Oy. happening? Hmm. Ooh. What's happening in the oh, 30s no. and 40s, Gabby? Nazis. Nazis. Nazis are happening. So everybody's like, you know what? They're Nazi sympathizers. They're Nazi spies. There was a story about people being executed with <gasps> machine guns. Oh, no. Which also, P.S. though. Okay, machine guns are hella noisy. <laughs> That's not a neighborhood gun. It's not a neighborhood gun. So if I'm mowing people down in my back tunnels with not my with secret hideaways. Not with a lawnmower, though. Not with a lawnmower. That's true. Um, <laughs> but like with a machine gun. You would think someone would hear that. Yeah, probably. There was even a story that during Prohibition, a tunnel was built down to Lake Erie that allowed these, um, quote unquote, Nazis to get booze from Canada and also to dump bodies in the lake. Who's the creative writer of this one? It's, oh, hold on. You'll find out. (laughs) Can't wait. You just got so excited. I saw it in your face. In 1967, the house again went on the market. It was bought by a woman named Dolores and her husband, James Romano. She had long been fascinated with the castle and basically said to her husband, hey, man, we're buying this. Uh, He was not super into it, but eh, I guess we know who wore the pants in that relationship. He thought it was uh, he thought it was a money pit. But in January of 1968, she bought it, moved the family in. They thought about turning it into a restaurant, which. Oh, fun. Yeah, I would totally dine at a restaurant like that. I totally would, too. Right? Yeah. Now, here's where the ghost stories really kick in. Because her kids are telling their parents that they've made this new friend up in the ballroom on the fourth floor. Uh-oh. And the parents are like, okay, that's cute. Our kids have an imaginary friend. The kids are even asking for extra cookies to give their friend. So she's like, okay, my kids are trying to get extra sweets. But also, again, that's adorable. Here, take some cookies. Eventually, she was curious enough to ask for more details, and the kids described their friend as a girl who dressed funny. But they liked playing with her because she was always sad. They wanted to cheer her up. Aww. So Dolores is just like, boom, I know who this is. This is the ghost of 15-year-old Emma Tiedemann. Uh, but it wasn't just this instant. Other weird things were happening. The Romano family apparently had an organ, and the ghosts liked to play the organ. Oh, fun. <laughs> Objects moving around, voices in empty rooms, footsteps running back and forth. I mean, you know, haunting 101. Classic. Yeah. Dolores had two sons from a previous relationship, and one night, a few weeks after the family moved in, the two boys woke up because their blankets were being viciously yanked off of them in the middle of the night. So the next day, they were like, yo, peace out, y'all. <laughs> 
This is some creepy shit. We're not into it. It got bad enough that Dolores told the remaining kids they weren't allowed to play on the fourth floor. She also recounts a time she saw a woman in black standing on the third floor, and she thought the woman was Louise Tiedemann. Later accounts say it could have been Rebecca Tiedemann or Rachel the servant girl or Karen the niece slash daughter. I mean, I guess any woman that's ever lived there could be her. Sure. Could be any sure. of them. It was, it was a woman. We know that. All right. Or do we? Oh, I don't know. Hey. Radio personality John Webster came to the house, and while he was walking up the stairs, he said that uh, the recorder that he had strapped over his shoulder was grabbed and smashed on the floor. That's aggressive. A television reporter who also visited witnessed a hanging ceiling light suddenly turning in circular motions. Oh, that's creepy. That is creepy. Uh, Barbara Dreamiller? I'm not sure if I'm saying her name correctly. Honestly, I tried Googling her and came up with very little. Uh, she worked for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which is a newspaper. She supposedly came to the house, was walking up the same staircase, John Webster, our friend who had his recorder smashed on the floor, and encountered a green mist. Ooh. Rather than saying, hey, maybe I should go downstairs away from this green mist, she's like, let's go into the mist. <laughs> I mean... I get it. Would you go into the mist? <laughs> I don't know if I would go into it. I would try to document it. I'd be like, ooh, phone, picture, time. Yeah. Like, well, that's what I would I try mean, to do. I mean, to be fair, yeah. they didn't really they have, didn't have phones yeah, that did not that back then. I like that. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she walks into the mist. She passes out and wakes back up on the sofa on the first floor. <laughs> so that's fun. So like um, a Slimer moment? It was a little Slimer moment. So this medium reaches out to Dolores Romano saying that um, if Dolores continues to stay in this house, one of her kids is going to die. Oi. Which, yeah, that's that's full aggro. That's a lot of things. Uh, and this was apparently the straw that broke the camel's back because um, the family moved out. However, one of the kids did still die. Oh, oh. Wait, but when? <laughs> like, were they full grown adults? Let's get, let me... I'm gonna I'm gonna right. lay some of this out and then we're gonna go back and okay uh, sorry I'll stop asking questions. Scully. The next owner is Sam Muscatello who wanted to turn the house into a church, but then weird shit kept happening, so he thought mm, maybe not. Um, even more alarming, while renovations are happening, a human skeleton <gasps> is found in the walls on the third floor. Oh, Ooh, skeleton isn't. We don't know. Bonus skeleton. Bonus skeleton. Bonus. All houses should come with a bonus skeleton. I mean, what's creepier than an actual skeleton on Halloween? Like, that would be so much cooler than the plastic one that's sitting on my bench right now. Right? Just saying. I'm just saying. So if you really want to sell a house, make sure that there is a skeleton in the walls. The bonus one, you know? The bonus one. This was enough for Sam to nope out of wanting to own this house any longer. He sold it to Richard Hongisto. Okay who also didn't last long after a few weeks of creepy shit happening, he was like, nope, and sold it to a man named George Mercetta, who, like Richard Hongisto, Hongisto, I don't know who, I'm probably saying all these names wrong, only has the property for a short time before things were too scary and leaves. So George sells it to Michael DeVinco, more commonly known as Mickey Deans. Does that name ring a bell for you? No. It's okay. It's I, I was like, I know he's a Hollywood dude. I couldn't remember which Hollywood dude. He was Judy Garland's last husband. Oh, okay. 
It's now 1985. He wants to throw these big parties. So he starts remodeling and wants to divide up some of the rooms in the house. He actually owned the house until 1999 when he sold it to Michelle Heimberger. She's one of the co-founders of Yahoo. Oh, wow. And she's got a fun name. She's got a great name. I'm sorry that I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, The fall after she bought it, an arsonist broke in and tried to burn the house down. Oh, my God. Uh, the, the arsonist was not fully successful, but there was a lot of damage. They had to replace the roof. So she sold it to real estate developer Charles Missap, who had, uh, the intention of turning it into some sort of like wine bar, but that didn't happen. So he sold it to a European artist who wanted to turn it into apartments. Through the decades, people have speculated, why is Franklin Castle so active? Was it Hannes? His violence causing this upset amongst his victims? Was the family cursed? One popular theory even says that the house was built on Native American burial grounds. Oh, wow. What an original story. What an original story. This is quite an intense history. Or it would be if it wasn't almost all entirely a huge load of bullshit. (laughs) So much bullshit, Gabby. I'm here for it. Oh, my God. Uh... I can't yeah. wait. I and I'm. I need to give. Uh, I need to give a, a, a shout out, and I'm going to probably give multiple shout outs because uh, I read the book "Haunted uh, Haunted Franklin Castle" by John Myers and William Kredgeke. Okay, and it was uh, insanely helpful, very detailed, meticulously researched. So a lot of what I found out. Uh, was from them that I went back and like verified myself through other sources. So um, yes, if you want a really, really in-depth account of all of this, Haunted Franklin Castle, and I'll probably say it again and again and again because it's a great book. So we're going to start looking at what actually happened and we're going to start back with our friend Hannes. He was actually born... Johannes Tiedemann. On April 12th of 1832, to Hans, a blacksmith, and Vibke, 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 I think I'm saying that right, uh, not Vibeka, as is often reported. Different name. She was the daughter of a wealthy landowner in uh, a part of Germany that at the time was the kingdom of Prussia, but today is Germany. Okay. He was one of a boatload of other children. Uh, Tragically, when he was 14, his father died, leaving his mom with, like, a pack of kids and a whole lot of political unrest in the area. So by 1848, she applied for herself and six of her children, Hannes included, to go to the U.S., which they did. Hannes is now, Johannes, excuse me, is now 16 years old. And shortly after arriving in the U.S., that's when he shortened his name from Johannes to Hannes. Their original destination was Wisconsin, but they ended up staying in Cleveland, Ohio. Vibke purchased a farm for her family to live. Hannes took an apprenticeship at a nearby farm, which mainly focused on barrel making. So he did this until 1854, when at the age of 22, he wanted to head into the city, try his luck there. He worked as a traveling salesman. He clerked at a wholesale grocery firm. And by 1862, civil war has started. Hannes is feeling compelled to maybe start a family of his own. I want you to take note of that date. 
early winter of 1862, he heads home to Prussia to find his wife, which is where Luis Hock, who had been a childhood friend of his, or excuse me, of one of his sisters, comes into the picture. On March 19th of 1862, Hannes and Luis marry in a few days after they head back to the United States, and by fall, Louise was pregnant with their first child. And the reason I ask you to take note of that date is do you remember the year that Franklin Castle was supposedly built? No, I don't. At the top of the episode, I mentioned 1864. Keep that date in mind. Okay. Because it's now... Well, we're about to get to 1863. They rented the home from his brother-in-law. Hannes was pursuing promising business opportunities. And in June of 1863, Louise gave birth to a daughter, Wilhelmine, who tragically died at the age of two months oh, from consumption. Sad. Commonly known as tuberculosis now. Right. They don't have a ton of money. Hannes couldn't even properly afford the burial of his daughter. His brother-in-law steps in, letting them bury her at one of his family's plots. Louise would again become pregnant and give birth to their second child, a son, August Johans. Johans? August Johans. So if you can tell, I never took German in school, and I'm struggling with some of the names. I'm doing my best. You're doing great. In September of 1864. So again, 1864. Mm-hmm. When Franklin Castle by a lot of accounts, is supposedly being built or built. Well, it's 1864, and Hannes does not have any kind of money to do this. So there's already one piece of commonly misreported history. All right. Scully's gonna scully. Scully's gonna scully. Now, one possible explanation for this mistaken date is that Hannes and Luis were, you know, doing their duty. And uh, by spring of 1865, she's pregnant again. The family needs a bigger space, so they move. Not to Franklin Castle. They move into another lot on Franklin Street in November of 1865, And this is the lot where Franklin Castle eventually would be built after they also purchased another portion of the land. Okay. It's not there yet. They move into a home that's called Wolverton House, or at least that's what was referred to in most of the research I saw. And their daughter, and their daughter Emma, is born November of 1865. And Franklin Castle is still not in existence yet. Still not in existence. Nope. Okay. <laughs> They're just in Wolverton House. Cute little house. Cute little family home. Again, just like a little house. Not nothing, nothing like not a tiny, tiny little shack, but it's just a cute little house. Sure. End of the war found Hannes's business booming. In 1868, Hannes and Louise took the children back to the homeland to visit family. And on their return, they brought back a woman named Christina Karina from their village. Christina would work as a servant in the house for a couple of years, uh, something the Tiedemans would continue to do. They would bring over immigrants from Germany. They would help them out so they could get on their feet, oftentimes providing them with a place to live or work if need be, which is a far cry from this cruel man who is often reported. Hmm. 
December of 1869, Luis would give birth to another son, Ernst. But around seven months, he contracted brain fever, which is now more commonly known as meningitis. He also died. That's so sad. And for those of you who are keeping score, they've now had four children, two who have died in their infancy. That's rough. On May 29th, 1871, Luis gave birth to another daughter, Dora Louise. This same year, Hannes, who'd been finding so much success in the grocery trade, decided he wants to become a private capitalist, so he invests in real estate. Both of these decisions would become quite profitable. The final child born to Hannes and Luis would be Albert, who also tragically died a few months after birth. Out of six children, three died very young. And you know those stories about the children who died within weeks of each other, like he had other children and they died. I feel like this is probably the first glimmer of how that rumor came about. Because he did have three children who died in infancy. Um, something very common <laughs> in the 1800s. Uh, none of this was abnormal. And apparently, because these three children would all be buried in the brother-in-law's family plots. Well, at some point in time in the mid-1880s, these three children who were buried in his brother-in-law's family plot would be moved to a family plot that Hannes would purchase once he had the money. So if somebody was just glancing at some records and they see three children buried around the same time, they're thinking, oh, he had three children who died one after another in mysterious circumstances. When in reality, the three children had died years before and were simply being moved over to this new plot. In 1876, Hannes and Louise decided to return to Germany for a few years to live with their three surviving children. And one of the reasons this might have been is because Emma had type 1 diabetes. So they may have been looking into some specialized medical care for her. They would not return to the United States until September of 1879. And this time, again, they have another young woman with them, Louise Politz, who would live in their house. Uh, and it, this is actually around the same time Hannes plans to build a summer house. Oh, fun. He, he employs the architect firm Cuddle and Richardson. Now, this is the house that's sometimes referred to as being almost identical to Franklin Castle. It's not. It was built by the same architects. And again, construction began on this before Franklin Castle. So how could it, it be was, identical to Franklin Castle if it didn't exist yet? I guess it could have Well, been but Franklin Castle still doesn't exist. Right, but it's not there, so how could it be replicated? Like, Well, the reverse would be right, true right, in that right. case. That's true. Yeah. Um, but it's not. Like, you can see pictures of both. They <laughs> are they in no way the same. They built by the same guys. They were built by the same guys. So through all of this, Emma's health continues to suffer, and she would sadly pass away on January 15th of 1881 at the age of 15 from diabetes. That's sad. It's very sad. Um <clears throat> Particularly given, again, they've, they've already lost three other children in infancy. Um, yeah. But you know what still hasn't happened, Gabby? 
Murder? Uh, well, sure. But you know what else still hasn't happened? <laughs> the, the house hasn't been built yet? The house hasn't been built yet! <laughs> wow, two things. Good. Look, look at me go. <laughs> and so, one of the main spirits that people throw out there is haunting the castle. Died years before the property was formally finished. Wait, but don't you think if it was on the same land, she could still be there? We're, we're going to get to that. Okay, sorry, had to. <laughs> um, now, her death date is also sometimes misreported. Of course it is. <laughs> so, three months after Emma died, Hansa's mother, Vibka, also passed away, most likely from old age, because at this point she's like 83. Oh, uh, that makes sense. But also... Vibka was not even living with Hannes and Louise at the time. She was living with her daughter, uh, Katerina, and had been living with her for the last eight years. So not relevant. So, again, I don't know why she would be haunting in any way, shape, or form that property at all. Because it's a fun story. Because it's a fun story. Well, it's also, sometimes I feel like people don't fully appreciate when you're looking back at... The 1700s, the 1800s, the early 1900s, like infant mortality, childhood mortality, and just diseases and things we didn't have treatments for and that getting a bad cold could kill you if it turned into something. Oh, I would be dead right now if I lived back then. But uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> that like, it's really easy, I think, and we've talked about this, yeah. to look at these cases sometimes through a 2023 lens and be For like, sure. oh, how, how did this person die? How are so many of them dying close together? Well, because everybody did. It was normal. It was normal. It's sad, but nobody was looking at this being like, I mean, the 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 four children, that's incredibly tragic. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, like, again, I hate to say it, not super unusual. So spring of 1881, the summer house in East Rockport is finished. So the family moves there so that their new Franklin Street house, now Franklin Avenue, can be torn down and a massive residence will be started there. So construction begins sometime around then and was completed in either late 1882 or early 1883. So very different. <laughs> very different. And what it was funny when I started doing research, I almost used that as the bar for whether or not I should keep reading an article. And if it said 1864, I was like, pass. That's a good bar uh, to have. It was a good bar to have. But the so much is misreported that I'd read articles that were a mixture of, of fact and fiction. And I mean, it's like, I get it. It's hard. The records can be confusing. Property lines get redrawn. Uh, it's easy to misinterpret some stuff. But again, it's it's that we see this time and time again. All it takes is it get getting misreported once or twice for then everyone using that source and then it gets continuously misreported. So we're fixing it now, here and now. Here and now. And we'll, we'll post some pictures of this house to our Instagram. Um, it's, it really is a beautiful structure. Remember me talking about the remodel that supposedly happened that saw Louise having the faces of her dead children carved into the stone by the entrance? Yes. So there are carvings in the stone near the entryway. It probably had nothing to do with her children. It was actually a pretty common detail at the time. Um, and the house had just been built, so it wasn't a remodel. 
No, that's just part of building it. It's just part of building it. By 1883, Hannes was also trying his hand at the banking industry, hoping to get even richer than he already was. By 1888, Dora, who was Hannes and Luis's only surviving daughter, became engaged to 28-year-old Edward Wiebenson. Oh, that's a name. It's a name. She was 16 years old. So, yep, say it with me, y'all. Ick. Oh, gross. And some part of them knew it was ick because they kept it a secret. Oh, that's they definitely knew it was ick if they kept it a secret. Yeah. Uh, their son, August, had been courting a woman named Helena Rauch, also known as Ella, to her friends and family. They would get married in a small ceremony in 1889. By 1890, Dora, who is now 18, is like, hey, y'all, I'm going to marry Edward, who's now 30. This is still kind of ick, but... I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks this ick. Everyone no, else is like, I'm there Yay. with you. I'm okay, right there you. with you. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. Gotcha. Uh, they would get married on May 23rd of 1891 and move into their own house. August and his new wife have their first child, a boy. Things seem to be going well for everyone. By 1892, August has a second child. Dora and Edward have their first child. But by 1894, Louise Tiedemann is having pain in her stomach, which is leaving her you know, bedridden. By 1895, the doctors are classifying it as a liver complaint. So she died at the age of 57 on March 28th of 1895. And again, it was obviously some sort of liver issue. I don't know if that means it was cancer, liver disease or whatever. Um, I'm guessing that's why people are like, she drank herself to death. Well, because it's related to the liver and it could be liver failure from alcohol. But sure, but like there was no evidence to suggest evidence, evidence um, that she had any sort of drinking problem. Luis's death devastated Hannes. So by spring, he went with a friend to Hamburg where he would meet 39 year old Henriette. Hannes is 63. Uh, there was nothing to show that Henriette was a waitress like it's often reported. Who knows? Now, Edward and Dora have twin sons in 1896. On June 13th of 1896, just over a year after his wife's death, Hannes marries Henriette. Which again, for the time period, that's really common. Sure. You've got a man of a certain age who's not used to running certain things and wants companionship. And uh, yeah, like this is, you know, we saw this with Belle Gunnis where she'd put ads in the paper. Comely widow needs husband. Like it worked. It will. And, and marriage was was a different kind of transaction for a lot of people. That's true. You know, it was about uh, building a life and security and having a home. And uh, it's, again, we look at things a little different. It was pre Tinder. What you going to do <laughs> now? One of Edward and Dora's twins tragically passed away at seven months from a heart issue. And over the next few years, they'd have two more sons. By summer of 1897, Hannes and Henriette permanently moved to the summer home. Uh, he rented out Franklin Castle for a bit, but ultimately sold it. Henriette's still in the picture. Didn't divorce him within a year so far. Good for her. Sadly, in 1904, Dora would develop diabetes like her sister, and this would greatly impact her health. Even more tragic, on April 20th of 1906, August died from arteriosclerosis, uh, which is a condition in the heart. Now, she may have been ill, but you know who's still alive? Who? Dora. 
Dora is still alive. So all those reports that like their last surviving child, August, died. Not true. Huh. Cool. December 2nd of 1906, Dora went to the theater and she tripped on her dress going down some stairs. She hurt her hip very badly. She developed an infection and she died a few days later at the age of 35. That's rough. That's rough. So now all the children are dead. <laughs> so just that one little detail. But it's still, it's again, it's wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> On January 19th of 1908, at the age of 75, Hannes, who had been feeling poorly, passed away in his bed, not like in the park from a stroke. You know who was by his side, Gabby? Who? His wife. Wow. Uh, well, because she, she didn't divorce him. Like all those reports, like she couldn't handle him because he was a twat. She divorced him within a year. No, she was still married to him when he died. That's she not even put hard up to find out. She just put up with the twat. That's all. Well, Gib, we don't know that he was a twat. Oh, that's fair. She just I don't think he was. Him. He seems lovely. There you go. Like his son August, he died from arteriosclerosis. So let's 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 go back to this. One, still married. Two, didn't drop dead of a stroke while on a walk because he was in this bed. Um. But again, what's ridiculous to me is in all these stories, people thought he was such an awful man. He was well regarded for his philanthropy. His generosity, especially within the German community of Cleveland. This poor dude has his whole name unjustly dragged through the mud for years because it's a better, more interesting, sexier ghost story. That sounds very familiar. Mm. Also, something I thought was really remarkable about the um, Haunted Franklin Castle book. Ah, see, give it another shout out. It names every single servant, every single niece that Hannes had. Like, again, they did their research. <laughs> so in all of this, you know whose name never comes up as a servant? Whose? Rachel, the servant he was supposedly having an affair with and then killed. Interesting. So then where did Rachel come from? I believe someone's imagination. Oh, okay. There was no records of a Rachel and there was no records of any suicides happening in the house. Huh. You know who else never existed? Who? Karen, the niece illegitimate daughter. I love that all in like one breath. <laughs> it's because I read both and I was like, this is a lot. Um, so the, the only person at this point who's actually died in the house is Louise. Huh. Uh, Emma died on the property. Right, right. None of the other children died on the property. There's no records of any servant dying on the property. There's no records of any other family member dying on the property at this point in time. So I feel like we can say debunked. <laughs> if, if only this was a drinking game. Missed oh, opportunity. Missed opportunity. We'd all be dead. And then <laughs> our ghosts would be doing this episode. And then we would be fulfilling the story of someone having a drinking problem and dying from it it's true um so let's let's keep looking at our owners of franklin castle let's see what else we find all right let's do it louise mulhauser purchased franklin castle for twenty thousand dollars on december 6th of 1897 louise not her brother as is often stated she lived there with her family until may 26th of 1915 when it was sold not to Germans, but to a doctor 
named oh. Ulysses Sherman Leroy Shirky. Wow, that's a name. It's my favorite name of all time. It's a great name. Ulysses Sherman Leroy Shirky. That should be a dog's name. Like, I feel like it's such a ridiculous name that if you name a dog that, that's going to be the best dog name ever. Best dog name ever. Now, years after the fact, Leroy's widow would apparently talk about weird things that happened in the home. Uh, According to her great-granddaughter, she said things would move around, blankets would be pulled off during the night... This is the first time any sort of paranormal activity would be reported. Although I do want to point out, these are stories her great-granddaughters would tell that she had said. So through the grapevine. It's not to say it didn't happen. Sure. But you are now looking at stories that are not being reported firsthand. They're being passed down. Right. On July 22nd of 1921, the home was sold to a German men's singing society named something that was really German that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. (laughs) And it remained some form of private German club until 1967. Um, By the time Prohibition hit, they were still serving booze. They didn't seem to need to smuggle it, though, because apparently they had a liquor still to make their own. Oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, absolutely. Um, the tunnel that's often referenced for all of that nefarious activity, the tunnel actually wasn't very big or very long. Uh, so it's something that they wouldn't have even really been able to, like it wasn't long enough that it stretched anywhere of note. A woman who lived there during the time doesn't recall anything weird or paranormal happening outside of the odd creek or groan of an old house. Another man whose grandparents managed the property recalled that the house looked scary, but he doesn't remember ever seeing a ghost. So Nazi spying, machine gun executions, again, um, bullshit. That's uh, also just wild. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny. It's wild. Like, it's, now, it's such a story that's just like, that's for a reaction. That's what oh, that absolutely. Is. Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure there was an element of, I mean, uh, to be fair, like World War II is going on. People aren't looking at Germans being like, hey, man. Uh, So I'm sure there's an element of of anti-German propaganda happening for any who lived in the country just because we were at war and there was some bad stuff happening. So like, yeah, these are stories I can absolutely believe people starting in that time because of the war. And, and post-war. Now, a caretaker did die there in 1943. So that's our third person who's died on the property that we know of total. Okay. June of 1953, a tornado hit the town. It did some damage to Franklin Castle. There were some people killed from the tornado, but none of them were anywhere near the property or had any relationship to the property. Um... But this seems to have prompted, it was around the 50s and the 60s or when the rumors really started to take off about it being haunted. But at this point, this is like half a century after the Tiedemans resided there, and um, most of it seems to be this house looks old and creepy. I mean, I get it. (laughs) Sure. Another caretaker died there in 1966, also of natural causes. By 1968, the property was sold to Dolores and James Romano. 
There's a lot of stories that came out of the Romano's time at the house. Let's look at some of these stories. All right, let's do it. There was the story about the kids coming down, asking for a cookie from their friends. Um, That story does seem to be true. They apparently saw her in their childhood, but at some point she stopped appearing. House needed some work. There were problems with light bulbs burning out after only a few weeks. So this could be supernatural. Absolutely. It could also be something with the wiring. Sure. Uh, There was a rocking chair that supposedly belonged to Louise Tiedemann that was auctioned off, but was returned when the person who bought it said it was rocking by itself. Oh, but this is another story where I'm like, I don't know if this came from Dolores or if this was a. Not that I doubt things Dolores said, but. Uh, Now, the family discovered a lot of socialist literature there, pamphlets from some of the meetings and. They found some um, minutes from some of the meetings that referenced a radio tower on one of the turrets. And that could be the origin of some of our spy rumors as well. Okay. That makes sense. The blanket story uh, does appear to have happened. The boys didn't move out after they had the blankets pulled off of them. Um, They reported that it happened more than once. But they didn't live there for very long. Now, 1868, that was the first written article about Franklin Castle's supposed haunting. Dolores Romano recounts a story of being on the third floor and hearing what sounded like a chain dragging across the floor above her. She talked about hearing the organ music playing. This is maybe my favorite. So one of her sons also recalls hearing organ music playing. What's her son do? What? Tries to discover the origin of it. Good on him. And he found it. What was it? One of the neighboring homes. Oh, so not their ghost. (laughs) Not a ghost. The sound was traveling. Mm. Check that off the list. Um, Apparently the article was full of inaccuracies, which could also account where some of the misinformation got started as well. Uh, Now, the Romanos had wanted to make this house into a restaurant, but couldn't. Because according to them, initially, they didn't believe in ghosts. But they wanted to get the home rezoned. That didn't pan out. But you know what we could do with a home that seems to be haunted? Or at least we're saying it's haunted. Big old home. Tours. Tours would be cool. Ah, I'd go. They started doing tours. This is also the origin of Franklin Castle's current name. Oh, It was often referred to as the Tiedemann House before that, which makes sense. Sure. Uh, So they start doing tours, especially around Halloween. They're leaning into the spooky stuff. In fact, they're buying things to make the house look spookier. I don't blame them. This is where another legend may have been born. The family employed a babysitter named Karen to watch the youngest. She had an accident on the stairs. Now, some accounts say a ghostly force pushed her. Who knows? Anyway, she got, she (laughs) fell, she got injured. Could this story have morphed into a girl named Karen being murdered? Uh, Like, again, giant game of telephone? It's possible. Why not? Years went by. More strange things are being reported. Doors opening and closing. Um, one of their daughters talked about reading books and the pages turning by themselves when she said, like, turn the page, which I thought was funny. Uh, <laughs> items moving around the home, footsteps. Children were told not to play in the third or fourth floor. But as the reputation for the home grew, so did people just stopping by uninvited. Oh, <laughs> huh, this also sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. 
The Romanos would occasionally let reporters in and even some paranormal teams. One team found a painting of a girl who the Romano children identified as the girl they'd seen. Oh. During these times of visitors, um, the visitors' belongings would be broken oftentimes or ransacked. And the children would get blamed, but the children said they had nothing to do with it. um, (laughs) One could assume a ghost did it, or it could just be the kids saying, it "It wasn't me. Because the kids aren't going to say they did it if they actually did it. Yeah, kids are going to kid. So that's a hard one. Same with the painting. I'm like, well, it could be it's a painting of Emma, and they really are seeing Emma. It could also be that at some point they saw the picture of her, and they were pretty young when this was happening. Um, Dee Romano, who was the, the daughter... I think she was four when the family moved in. Mm-hmm. So it's possible they see her picture and she is kind of some imaginary friend. It's again, it's really, really hard. Um, so the family would move out, not because they got a warning from a medium. One of the children would die. They moved out because the city was messing with the school system and they didn't want to have to be like bused to a different school. So they moved. Makes sense. After they died, one of the children did die. It was about two years later. And he was tragically struck by a car. So there's nothing supernatural about that. It's just sad. That is sad. The home would be purchased by Samuel Muscatello in September of 1974. Uh, He let the tours continue. He had an experience pretty early on where he said he saw some lights and felt something pass through him. He's also the guy that supposedly found a skeleton in the wall. Ah, And he did, kind of. Okay, how? Human remains were found. Not a full skeleton. Two femurs and part of a pelvis. In the wall? In the wall. That's still weird, though. (laughs) It's weird, but it wasn't even enough to determine the gender. Uh, It was thought to be belonging to someone who was 65 to 67 years old. Theories to how they got there range from it being planted to drum up excitement for the supposed haunted house or possibly even something that belonged to Dr. Shirky. So remember, he owned that house for a couple years. Uh huh. So maybe he had a skeleton or he had some stuff in his office that got put in the wall or during a remodel got shuffled around. I don't know. That seems like a weird thing to randomly shove into a wall. Well, I suspect it wasn't shoved into a wall, but I sus- but it, it, I suppose the justification being is that maybe there was a bunch of junk around and things got moved while they were remodeling and putting walls up and it got grouped together with some garbage or some other debris. Because the thing is, is, is what? Two femurs and part of a pelvis. If I'm a construction dude just kind of grouping some stuff and flinging it into the wall because I don't want to clean it up, I might not identify that if I'm not really paying attention amongst boards and other things. I don't know. Again, it's a theory. Sure. There is the incident with the writer Barbara Miller, who supposedly had the green mist. But um, honestly, I found no notes uh, of anything she wrote that referenced it. There's nothing in any of her notes that ever referenced that happening. Huh. So is it possible it happened short? Did she write it down? No. Ultimately, Sam Muscatello couldn't keep up with the payments on the house. Uh, it was sold to someone else. May of 1976, the new owner was Roderick Aldrich Cradleville and his wife, Marion Faye Waldman Ruckelman. What a name. Ruckelman. Just, love that. Yeah, this is a lot of names. Um, he was the building commissioner for uh, 
Rocky River, Ohio. He made changes to the home while he lived there, has no recollection of anything weird happening while he lived there. The couple didn't live there long, and their divorce prompted the house to be sold again. Now, in 1978, it was sold to Richard Hongisto. Again, another great name. Uh, Richard Hongisto, the former Cleveland police chief. Sort of. Okay. So, the story that was told at the top of the episode when I was going through all this is that he only lived there for a little bit because all this crazy shit was happening. It sent him packing. Sure. In reality, he never actually moved in. He accepted a job in New York, so the purchase wasn't finalized. Which is easy to turn into a easy to turn into he stayed for such a short time because ghosts the next actual buyer was george mercetta in december of 1978 house is a mess at this point needs all this work george applies to have franklin castle put on the national register of historic places so that's cool that's fun a woman named ellie bernstein who had been to the castle before she said she was a psychic Ooh, and that she could channel the women from the tiedemann family feel like you don't need to see the video to have an idea of what my face is doing right now i think uh, your voice is doing what your face is doing right uh, now so i'm trying to i'm trying to say a lot right now so she came to the castle was doing tours she was being quoted in articles about how the ghost of hannes tiedemann told her about his life there and one of the stories involved hannes tying a servant named Rachel to the bed and shooting her the day she was supposed to marry another man. So that's the origin of that legend. Not facts. A woman who says she was a psychic channeling Hannes Tiedemann. That's one way to get attention. I'll give her that. She also said that his illegitimate daughter, Karen, uh, was also shot by Hannes when he found her in bed with one of his grandsons. So there we go. Number two. Uh, And this really does appear to be the first time either of those stories came up. And I do wonder if maybe the name Karen, if she had, I don't know, met Karen when she was visiting there, if she'd heard the story of Karen falling and the name stuck in her head, or if it's complete coincidence. Uh, I feel safe, though, in saying those are some stories we can call debunked. I would agree with you on that, especially if there's no record of anything. Oh, there's absolutely no records of any of that. Uh, There's various other stories that, may or may not have come from George or his wife. The most alarming was the time they left a tape recorder on a floor to record because they'd been having so much activity happen. Mm-hmm. When they played it back, they they heard what seemed to be an older man speaking not English and the sounds of a slap. Um, the problem is I couldn't find any existence of this tape. So it may have happened, but I don't know where the recording is and I don't think it still exists even if it was taken. So it's, it's again, kind of hard to... You know what it makes me kind of think of is if they thought they heard organ music and it was coming from another house. Could that be recording another house or people outside or like That's a harder one to me because like the organ music with the way the sound was traveling, I could see. And with the way the organs are on the floor, Uh the sound would travel through the ground. Somebody having an argument. If you're a house down, unless you are screaming, yeah, especially the sound of a slap, the houses aren't close enough together you would hear the sound of a slap. It could have been something else, though, that sounded like a slap. <sighs> That's a harder one for me just because, again, the houses I don't think are that close together. Okay. So the level of sound you'd have to be making to be, he- to be picked up by a tape recorder. 
Like, those old tape recorders, they barely hear you if you cross the room. They're not going to pick sound up from an That's entire true. other home through various walls. That's fair. Okay. Uh, so that I, I, I don't think that's what happened here. Again, I, we don't even know if this did happen because we don't have a tape that still exists. Oh, I was waiting to say evidence. We don't have evidence. It's true. Evidence. Um, and I, honestly, there's a lot of other stories uh, that mostly kind of seem bogus, so I'm not even going to bother going into them. If you want to read them in full, read the book. Uh, on March 15th of 1982, Franklin Castle became an official historic place. Francis Ford Coppola would use the exterior of the house in his film, The Escape Artist. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, so now, after George and his wife became pregnant, they sold the home in 1983 to Richard Perez and his wife, Virginia. He was an attorney. She worked as a reporter. So, of course, there's all these stories. And they're being contacted by people who are like... Can we come and investigate your home? Can we come and hang out with the ghosts? Can we do seances? There was a, a late night horror host called The Ghoul who wanted to do an episode of the show there. So God bless her. She starts doing her own digging. And she is my favorite because what she discovered is what I'm sharing with you all right now. The vast majority of the history that people are saying is bogus. She figured it out. Nice. In 1982, she figured it out. But Thank then you, Virginia kept telling it. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, they sold the home to Michael Davinko in November of 1985. Uh, again, best known for being Judy Garland's last husband, who was also the one who found her when she died. Sad. He did a lot of what sounds like incredibly tacky work to the home. Um, he had some friends, Robert Kokai and Alan Christopher, who were also late night horror hosts. They did an episode of their show, The Frank and Drac Show at Franklin Castle, where they interviewed Dolores Romano. Cool. So uh, both of them stayed at the house a lot. Robert spoke of a woman in white who'd follow him around and how many weird things happened. Um, Davinko threw a lot of parties, did a lot of entertaining. He sold the house in 1999 to Michelle, uh, Heimberger, who co-founded Yahoo, I mentioned. Um, a man did break into the house in November of 1999, set fire to it. She sold it in 2003 to Charles Millsap, a real estate developer, who wanted to make it into kind of a club, um, but he was sort of full of shit as well. Nothing ever came of it. Tours were still sometimes happening. Millsap couldn't keep up with the bills. The house is falling apart. And descendants of the Tiedemann family were made aware what was going on. So they contacted Millsap. Uh, they wanted to come look at the house. They were appalled at the condition it was in. And they actually wanted to purchase it, but they couldn't make it work. So in 2011, it was sold to a European tapestry artist, Chiara Donadal. And the hope was that the home could be completely restored to what it had been. And they seem to have done that. That's awesome. Now we get into a different portion of the evening. The portion I like to call, I had to watch this show again. You know who did an episode on Franklin Castle? Douche Adventures. Douche Adventures. Um, <laughs> I watched it. And you know, I have to say, I start the episode and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to give you all a little credit. They interviewed William Krujici, who's the author of the book that I got all of this beautiful information from. Yeah. So, like, they have an actual historian talking to them. And I'm like, okay, 
this is okay. Maybe maybe some facts will get in here. And, and they let him say that the legends are bullshit. And I was like, oh, wow. Maybe Ghost Adventures is trying to report facts. Um, <sighs> you got your hopes up, didn't you? I got my hopes up, Gabby. I'm going to play you a clip. <gasps> I can't wait. Also, while you're doing that, um, this reminds me of the Los Feliz Murder House Ghost Adventures episode because... That one, they also had the main girl who did the podcast that had seven different episodes on it where she did, like, mm-hmm. deep dive research. They had her on talking about it, and that gave to me – it gave them credibility to me, you know, because, like, yeah. she did all that research. But then they went ahead and, like, ruined all of it afterwards. So, like – yep. Sounds like they did it again. That in 1975, they found bones on the wall. That is true. Yes, that is true. That is true. So whose bones are those? We don't know. They were unidentified. They were... Okay, uh, so there are some mysteries. Yes, there are still still mysteries. So is it possible that that Mr. T may have killed somebody and put their bones on the wall? Not a chance. How else would they have gotten there? All that the coroner said was that they were very old bones. They were very brittle to the touch. So 1800s. Possibly 1800s, possibly... So it is possible that those bones could have been from somebody that was murdered. Well, that's a possibility, I'd say. What I'm struck by in that, though, is he would ask William a question and then, like, almost immediately interrupt him as he started to answer. So he's not... And he's, he's... pushing so hard like well there was bones but the bones he could have murdered it could have been this it could have been this it's and by suggestive. the end of he's just like sure bro <laughs> maybe he like you can hear him being like yeah i guess anything's possible like because exactly. that's all you can say to someone who's like pressuring you i feel like that's suggestive like oh interviewing like that's absolutely. like you're trying to get someone to say something specific but that's not what they're trying to say and and again he's he's not really giving people the full story of how the bones were found. It's just, I was like, oh, I should have got my hopes up because he's just full of misinformation. Uh, He mentions in 1929, he says that, quote, Hannes and Louise's son Carl jumped off a bridge and committed suicide. Do you remember me ever mentioning a son named Carl? No, and there was never, ever a mention of any of that. Well, also, 1929. That's way later. 1929. Way later. Way later. So this incident did happen. Carl, however, was not their son. He was their grandson. He was August's son. He did. He was in a car accident, and the cause of death is listed as suicide. He, he jumped off a bridge. But one of the theories is actually that he was in a car accident. He was disoriented and walked off a bridge. Which makes more sense. Which makes more sense. But at this point, both his grandparents have been dead for decades. His father's been dead for a couple decades. And he never lived in the house. But Baggins is trying to imply that his death is somehow related to this house. And that he had this deep sadness and melancholy. And it was the house that made him do it. And that is gross with a capital G. That is absolutely disgusting. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I just. It sounds good for TV. But it's it's also incorrect. It's not factually correct. It is. Well, it is most actually. Of, most of what they say is not correct. It's full on misinformation. And what I feel like is worse is that 
bringing in historians, using some of the actual truths to then try to twist it into your own narrative, that's worse because it gives you just enough credibility that people are going to believe it. And it's bullshit. And it makes me so mad. I agree wholeheartedly. He literally did that for the Los Feliz Fiel- Mansion. Like, just... they tried to make the owner seem like this awful dude who was mm-hmm. super creepy when he just contributed to more racism. Uh, so, you know, I- I'm not surprised. It's, it is exactly what you said, where there's like a tiny bit of credibility there. Mm-hmm. Where just enough facts just that enough. people are going to listen and be like, oh, he's talking to a historian. It must be true. Um, I will say at one point when they're investigating, one of them said, uh, I'm feeling frustration and anger. And I think what they were feeling was me. I think it was my frustration and anger. <laughs> you so channeled I, it. I projected that. I was just like, boom. That's Kim. That's Kim. They interviewed Helen Mercetta, who had lived there with her husband, George Mercetta. Um, she had had a, a, a story about being pushed down the stairs. And I'm going to play another clip for you, Gabby. Yay! Hi, Helen. How are you? I'm doing well. Helen Mircetta was attacked while living in the house in the early 80s. Uh, a couple times I was pushed down from the second floor down the stairs. That was a few times. A I few was, times? A few times. And you felt a physical push? Yes. Yeah. So something was trying to hurt you? Um, not so much hurt me, but it was like a warning. If they're pushing you down the stairs, Mm -hmm. I think they're trying to hurt you. (laughs) I'd like to say it was a warning. Um. Just as Bill did, Helen is downplaying the severity of a very dangerous situation. Does Franklin Castle have the power to manipulate the emotions of its occupants? Uh, I'll answer that. No. (laughs) Oh my god, I just was annoyed just like I wish everyone here who listens to this could have seen our arms during that. Because <laughs> we were some it just was like arms. throwing things like our hands in the air and our arms like a what? No. He's doing the same shit to her that he did to William. When and solely, I mean like you were pushed. It was threatening. No, it just kind of felt like a warning. No, he was trying to hurt you. No, I don't think so. I think you're wrong. Like and then he has mm. to say that they downplayed it. Yeah. Because you were there, too, bro. You were there. He's such a drama queen. Um, he's words that I probably shouldn't say out loud. Uh, at least not on public. I mean, writers. it's just <laughs> the more dramatic, the better for the show. I'm sure they get better ratings for things that are more dramatic and like more intense. And the scary you, scarier you make it, the more, I don't know, points you get. But like, this is just annoying. This is next level. Um. And they also treat all the stuff that Ellie Bernstein said as fact. And as we just went through, it's not. It's fabricated. So, honestly, I I watched the episode. I didn't want to give them any further credibility or attention. Don't watch it yourself, honestly. (laughs) Don't. It's a gross manipulation of the actual facts. You don't want to encourage them by giving the watch. Um, There was some stuff that may or may not have happened during their investigation. Uh, they have absolutely zero legitimacy in my opinion. So just let's pretend it doesn't exist. Um, what a review. <laughs> I did watch one more show. Ooh. Another, yeah. Have you ever watched, uh, the holes are fire? Yes. Yes. The holes are fire. Yeah. I had not. Uh, you know who Hans Holzer is? Yes. 
Yes. For our listeners who may not know, Hans Holzer uh, was a very famous um, paranormal investigator. He investigated the Amityville house. Uh, he was also the one that said it was probably built, built on Native American burial ground, which is Oy. why Rhonda Feo butchered his family. You, you kind of take half of what he said with a grain of salt. But uh, they have this show called The Holzer Files that's looking into, because he, he's passed, uh, some of his previous investigations uh, his daughter's on the show sometimes. They have their own team. Uh, and he did investigate Franklin Castle back in the day. So they go to, to look back, and it turns out Hans Holzer first investigated Franklin Castle in the 1960s. And according to his daughter, he went there three times, and his equipment failed each time. Huh. Um, the only time he ever publicly spoke about his experience with Franklin Castle, he said, quote, a frightful place filled with souls. I mean, that's a good description. Sure. So the team goes in. Uh, they do have some electronic problems right from the start. They have a medium. She's she's hitting on things that line up with all of the legends of the place. The tortured children, the dead servant girls. Um which I initially was like, okay. Did she know about all this stuff before going into she it? She said she didn't. Okay. Uh, they interviewed the Romano's daughter, Dee. Um, they were the first to own it after the Germans. Again, they kind of spearheaded everything. Uh, Dee was like four. She talked about this girl with blonde hair and a Victorian dress who's crying all the time. Who And she um, used to try to talk to her. And... Again, I do feel the need to note that she was four. Uh, Dee talked about hearing screaming one night, and her mom told stories of how Tiedemann would bring women there from Germany and get them pregnant and torture them. What? But she then admits that she herself never actually researched this. It's just what her mom said. Um, <laughs> and that was a little bit where I was like, okay, okay, Dee. Uh, the investigators dive in. They come to the conclusion that the rumors start with Romanos and the slanderous stories about the family are almost all false. And this is where I was like, oh, now you're paying attention. Now I'm paying attention. Uh, And a comment one of them made is, did the ghost stories here grow until they took on a life of their own? Which I thought was a really interesting way to look at it. Now, one of their investigators felt something shoving him when he was setting up equipment on the investigation. The video actually is. There's video. It's kind of trippy. Like, dude looks like he's getting shoved. That's wild. Um, their psychic felt Louise Tiedemann's presence and how sad and angry she was because she wasn't with her daughter. So that was interesting because she said that Emma's spirit, um, that had kind of been caught by this like constant grieving had created a psychic imprint. Okay. Um, and that there was something about the house that was keeping the thoughts and memories trapped so that, that all this stuff is a manifestation of what people have lied and misbelieved. And again, I was like, okay, this is, it's an interesting theory. I would I would be open to looking more into that idea. Sure. So they hear something from upstairs. They split up uh, to try to try a couple different things. One of the investigators tried doing an EVP session where he used um, video of his daughter 
who's a teenager, to ask a couple questions because she has diabetes. And they picked up on the EVP session a kind of whimper sound that there is a similar sound in one of Hans Holzer's original recordings that he took back in the 60s when he went to the house. So, again, that was interesting. That is pretty interesting. That's cool. They did a video of a spirit board session that they, and I was like, okay, spirit board. But um, (laughs) there is a moment when they're doing it where the video glitches and you can see something behind one of them. Uh, They concluded that they think the spirit of Louis Tiedemann is still there and that Emma in some capacity is still there, but um, separated from her mother because she is on a separate part of the property that wasn't... So they can't, like, see each other. Uh, that, that was the only bit that got a little confusing to me, because initially they were like, well, her spirit's passed on. This is only a physical, this is only, like, a psychic manifestation. But then they were like, well, we think she's here, too. So I'm not, I, I don't know. That got a little, but it seems like those two spirits are probably there. Um, this is what was really interesting to me. So they bring back D. Romano and say they found no evidence that Hannes Tiedemann was a bad man. And that all those stories were false. She did not want to hear that. Oh, really? And she got real defensive. That says a lot. Um, it says a lot. But it was, I have to say, again, uh, of all the ghost hunting shows, I was like, I would I would try watching more episodes of this. Um, because, and, and again, if you have the ability, watch the full episode. I watched it streaming on Max. Um but you can see all the the stuff that happens and i just really appreciated that they did the work and the research they weren't afraid to push back and they weren't afraid to be like mm, all of these things here these didn't really happen um now franklin castle now is open so you can stay the night there if you'd like you can rent a <gasps> room at franklin go. castle so it's going to be on our ghoulish tendencies field trip list uh and you can do your own little investigation I think at the end of the day, there are probably some spirits there. I don't think it's anywhere near what uh, some people have reported. I kind of, I think I kind of land with the the Holzer people, where I'm like, there's some stuff here, and maybe some of what we're experiencing is is left over from all of this bullshit. Uh, but what do you think? I, I agree. I think honestly, this sounds. It's funny how similar vibes I get for this story to the Los Feliz murder mansion story, because it is a similar thing where like, sure. These people think the house is cursed, but it's like, no, it's just like a house that people lived in. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the same thing that it's a house that people lived in and like people are going to die in houses or on properties. And there's yeah. going to be either residual or maybe intelligent hauntings from time to time. But it's fun to tell a story. If you it's get attention from tell a, a story. telling the story and you want to keep doing it and it keeps getting you attention, you're probably going to keep telling it. And you're sure. probably going to get pissed when people tell you that you're wrong. So also true. I, I'm in agreement with uh, Scully on this one. <laughs> Appreciate. Well done. Thank you. And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? 
Uh, I have watched uh, many things for 100 Days of Horror, but I'm going to talk about two recent ones that I really enjoyed. One is that I went and saw A Haunting in Venice. Ooh, I was supposed to go with you and I couldn't. You were. Um, I, I, And I will say I have not seen any of the previous movies because they didn't look good to me. But uh, this looked fun. I liked the cast. I liked that, that Tina Fey was in it. I liked that uh, Michelle, um, Michelle Yao was going to be in it. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was very entertaining. It was a nice little mystery. I, I appreciated the the ghost story of it all. It was kind of fun to try to debunk it with him. Um, uh, acting is great. Characters are fun. Uh, if you've got a chance, I would say go go watch it in theaters if you're able. Although I'm sure it'll be streaming before too long. But it was it was very pretty, so it was a nice one Ooh. to see in theaters. The cinematography nice. was nice. The big old house reads really nicely on a big screen. Uh, and then the other movie I saw is Cobweb. Oh, which is another newer horror film. It is streaming now, and it's the story of a boy who's hearing noises at night and his parents keep dismissing him saying you're having bad dreams it's your imagination and he's hearing a voice talking to him and you get a lot into is this your imagination is this something is there something really there he starts to wonder if there's more to his parents than what he realizes uh, and if there's some kind of secret in the house, I don't really want to say a whole lot more because okay. I think um, it's really beautifully shot. It's it, the story itself isn't anything that's not been done before, but the acting is so good and the cinematography is really lovely that it just elevates the whole thing. So I, I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was fantastic. Nice. Yeah, what you been watching? Um, well, uh, I've watched a lot of trash TV, which we'll not talk you? about. What? Yep. I also started rewatching for what I was informed by my husband by uh, that I've watched now my third run of Penny Dreadful. Um, Jeez. I thought I had only seen it once. I guess I've seen it twice, but this is the memory that I have. So I figured it's been a while. So I started rewatching it. So I'm in season one right now. Okay. And I really loved season one. I remember, like, I was not the biggest fan of the la latter part of it. So I was mm -hmm. excited to rewatch that. Um, a good one to pull out for this time of spooky season of, like, if you want to watch something that's got an undertone but isn't, like, in-your-face horror. Like, this, sure. it's, it's a fun one. Um, especially with all the different famous references to different stories in it. Um, but I also watched a show on... Amazon Prime that I really liked a lot and I just was I would go through this phase where I'll just scroll and see what I find and it's actually a Sundance show so mm. it's a, I, I think I watched it because I guess I have a Sundance subscription I didn't realize I had um, but I think it came with maybe AMC plus mm. I, I don't remember mm -hmm. however this show is called totally completely fine Oh, I saw commercials for that. Which, it takes place in Australia, mm -hmm. and it's about well, a it's, young girl. It's an Australian show, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it takes takes place there. Um, everyone is Australian. But basically, the premise is, is there's this girl, Vivian. She's the main character. She's troubled. You can tell she was an addict at some point in her life, has a lot of 
rough patches and is probably not the most responsible human. And her, she has two siblings. One is they both older brothers. One is this like really put together, has his life together, gay dude who's always the main guy that always knows everything and has no emotions. And then the middle brother is this guy that has a wife and two kids and like the family guy, but always like really emotional. And then there's her. And they find out, this is not a spoiler in any way, but their grandfather dies. And she inherits his home, which is on a cliff in a like old people community. But it's like a, a beautiful old home and she doesn't realize until she gets there that the, that she inherited a property that is known where people commit suicide. Um, and so she ends up having to become this person that helps save people um, and tries to, you know, rescue lost souls, if you will, mm-hmm. that are on the verge. And um, it's tough because she's, it starts the, the the whole show starts with her attempting and not following through with it. Mm. And so um, if suicide's a rough thing for you to watch, it might not be the best show for you. Sure, um, sure. But it's really heartwarming and there are bits of humor in it that are so well done and very much like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. Um I would highly recommend it if you have Prime. It's very good, uh, and it's it came out um, I think this year. It's a newer show. Um, yeah, I, I remember seeing commercials. I think probably on AMC or IFC. Yes. Yeah, it's probably one of those. I know they're all kind of bundled together. It's from it's a Sundance Now uh, show, and it's mm. <laughs> I love that it's listed as a dark comedy. So of course I liked it. Um, but yeah, that was great. I watched the whole show in a week. So nice. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I've been watching, and I'm also currently reading a book, but I'll talk about it later for our next okay. episode. All right. But yeah. Um, well, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm sorry if I sound like this. I'm a little sick right now. Um, but uh, if you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating, or go on over to Patreon and contribute financially if you want some extra content, want to see what we look like while we're reacting to Ghost Adventures commentary, uh, got some videos on there, uh, as well as bloopers, all kinds of fun stuff. So um, go check it out if you haven't yet. And also, we just appreciate you. Find us on social media. Say hi. Um you can find us anywhere that is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, what have you. And having said that, thank you for listening and stay.